Hey there, language lovers. Shannon Kennedy here, along with my co-host, Benny Lewis, for another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. In this episode, we're talking to Manuel of Hair Professor, a language learner, and like Benny, an engineer. We get into how he learns languages and the inspiration behind creating Hair Professor. We also dive into how Manuel used his technical background to learn languages, how to turn language input into output, why speaking is language learner's biggest challenge, what makes input useful and how to avoid passive listening, what to do when you have trouble focusing, how to find compelling, comprehensible input at your language level, and why building habits is so important in language learning. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast or the podcast in general, we always appreciate hearing from you. You can let us know what you think at languagehacking.com slash review. And as always, all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode are available to you as a part of the podcast show notes. So without any further ado, let's get into our chat with Manuel. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 70. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. My name is Shannon and I'm here with Benny. And today we're talking to Manuel of Hair Professor, who is a native German and Spanish speaker. And he has a lot of great products for students who are learning German. So let's get right into our interview. Manuel, tell us how you got into language learning. Okay, how my journey with languages begin. Uh, so my parents are Spaniards. They immigrated to Germany in the 70s and I was born in Germany. I grew up in Germany. So I went there to kindergarten, to school, to the university. I uh, studied engineering, uh, civil engineering. I'm a civil engineer. And um, at school, I learned some Latin, I learned some English, I learned some French. And uh, later when I was working as an engineer in Spain, uh, after finishing my, my engineering, uh, back then it was diploma engineer. So now we have masters and bachelor. So after finishing my studies, I went to Spain because in Spain there were more opportunities for me to work as an engineer. And the financial crisis, I think it was 2008, 2009. So everything in the construction world went down, even in Spain. And our company was doing well, also abroad. And the idea was to have more projects abroad. And our CEO at that time heard that I knew some languages. Uh, some languages means in Spain that you know more than one language, <laughs> so not just Spanish. And they knew that I was from Germany and he called me up and said to me, Manuel, I've heard, you know, uh, some languages. And I said, yes. So, you know, some German, I said, yes, you know, some English. I was thinking at that moment, well, my English is not that good, but I have to take advantage of this opportunity to work with the CEO. And I said, yes. And he told me, well, you will accompany me. And we will travel around the world, introduce the company, give some presentations. And I knew I had to improve my English because from school I was, I don't know, maybe it was an A2 level 
So you, 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 you are familiar with this. So beginner would be A1, A2, intermediate, B1, B2, advanced, C1, C2, according to this European framework. And uh, to go give presentations, negotiate contracts, it might not uh, be enough, this level. But I had no time because I was very busy with the project I was working on in the company. I was uh, managing some huge civil projects like the subway in Malaga and uh, the, the, the train Speedway Abe in Spain and then big uh, constructions like bridges, tunnels and so on. And in addition, the CEO wanted me to, to accompany him. So I needed to improve my English. And um, the way I improved at that time, my English had a huge impact on the way I now teach, for example, or I develop my programs and the tools I've developed. At that time, I had no time. And I remember uh, driving with a car once, commuting to work. And I was just listening to the radio station. And I was just switching around. And then I got stuck on an English speaking radio. And I said to myself, well, I don't have time to go to any language courses. I don't have time to practice somehow or, or learn or study the traditional sense. So at least I will listen to those podcasts when I commute to work. And I added up on this when I prepared my breakfast, when I uh, went for a walk and whenever I listened to those podcasts and I improved. Uh, it took some time, but I improved. And um, this shaped a lot the way I I think now of language learning. Later on, there's a different story how I came about to create hairprofessor.com. I, uh, after this crisis, I had my last project as an engineer was in Germany because I knew German. It was a, uh, it was uh, an idea that makes sense to have that project. But the next project would have been in, uh, in South America. And at that time I had two little children and the idea, the plan of the company was to be there on site three months in South America and then one week at home with your family in Spain. And I couldn't, uh, I, it was not uh, the plan I had because I wanted to be around my children and so on. And I thought I had a good alternatives like finding a job in Germany and other things. And uh, finally I quit this job. And all the alternatives I thought of did not work. And I had to figure out a way to make a living. <laughs> and I also had from little child, maybe on this idea, this entrepreneurial idea to create my own thing. And uh, working with a mentor later on, it's, it's a long story, but working with a mentor uh, I, he asked me, it was, the idea was because before my usual idea to create a business that many people also have is how can I make money? And this mentor asked me, forget about money. Let's start with what are you good at or what do you love doing? And oftentimes people don't know because they might be good at something and uh, for them it's very natural. So they're not aware of it. And he gave me this exercise to ask some people around me what I'm good at. And I remember asking my sister 
And she said to me, Manuel, you're a great teacher. I remember I was very bad at math. Even the teacher trying to explain me all this stuff, I didn't understand anything. And you explained it to me and you immediately uh, improved a lot in math. And I told him, yeah, I'm good in math. And he asked me, what could you teach if you're a good teacher? I said at that moment, yeah, math. I was living in Spain and I said, I could also maybe teach German because I'm a native German speaker. And he said, okay, let's try. Try to find some people you could teach German. And I started, I was living at that time in Seville, in Spain. I started teaching in some private schools. Then uh, I also worked for Airbus, this company that builds planes, <laughs> and um, for Berlitz, this language school, uh, Berlitz. Uh, and then I started doing it more and more on myself, private teaching. And then I went online with italki, with Verbling. And then I worked with another mentor and I started creating my own language learning platform that is now Herr Professor. And yeah, there I focus on students that uh, have a similar situation that I had back then that was not having time and maybe not even wanting to learn, but needing it. <laughs> yeah, this could be a, a summary of, of my journey. Thanks for all that summary. And you'd be surprised to hear how much uh, you and I have in common because I've also got a background in engineering. I was also uh, helped a lot of people as a mathematics teacher for a long time. And I even also worked for Berlitz. <laughs> so I it worked for them when I was in France. Uh, so what I'm very curious is that for a lot of people, they imagine, uh, and this was the case for me when I considered getting into, I didn't have the same background as you growing up. I did not grow up uh, with multiple languages, but I grew up with this mentality that because I'm good at mathematics and because I ended up being an engineer, uh, if there's some left brain, right brain stuff happening, then that's all I'll ever be good at. And for a long time, I never got into languages because I was more of a technically minded person. So I would be very interested to hear uh, how you think the advantages of coming from a technical background. So how did the, the mathematics and the engineering that you knew, how did that help you when you started to have a systematic approach to learning English? And then eventually when you started to teach languages to others? With English, I actually didn't have a very systematic approach. I was just listening to those podcasts and do it more intuitively. So I had this sense that I had no time But while I was commuting, while I was having breakfast, while I was doing sports or whatever, I could at least listening, listen to some stuff. Uh, later on, well, as an engineer, I think, for example, one advantage is the grammar. If you compare grammar to mathematics, it's maybe easy because uh, the rules are not as complicated as in math. So it's easy to understand the grammar. I remember back in school, I had little problems with grammar. I remember... In Germany, I went to German school, but in the afternoons, we went twice a week to Spanish school. Uh, the teachers were nuns and uh, they were very, this traditional style that they, they wanted, they asked us for grammar. And, and I remember that all of this came easy to me, yeah, grammar and everything. So this might have been an advantage. But as you say, very good with left brain, right brain, I noticed that there was a huge gap between 
understanding something theoretically and then being able to apply it practically when speaking. This is also a common theme among many of my students that they say, I have learned the grammar or I've learned the words, but when I speak, they're somehow not there. Or this is an experience everyone can make that you want to say something and you need to stop and think about it if you want to do some corrections like grammar or vocabulary and so on. When you actually want it just to be there without thinking. So when I created, for example, one of our programs that we have from zero to C1, I teach the grammar. Although I use also a lot of right brain approaches, for example, uh, early on, I, it had a huge impact how, was, how I was listening to those podcasts. But later on, I studied a lot of uh, language learners like you, for example, your side and so on. And uh, others like, I don't know, I came across with Michelle Thomas or... Uh, James G. Asher's work, TPR, Total Physical Response, also this brain switching model that he had about left brain, right brain. Then there was a German guy that had a uh, that did a PhD on mnemonics specifically for German language. And yeah, I started including little things to the program. So for example, teaching grammar uh, with a more right brain approach would be using, for example, mnemonics to make the comprehension better yeah and uh so engineering has helped me to give structure to the program hey here's 75 lessons for a 150 lessons for a 250 lessons here's the grammar i can explain it uh, but i needed to add more things to it because engineering as mathematic seems to be very left brainish although you can also see that it, I don't know, Einstein saw pictures when he was thinking of physics. So it was more right brainish. Yeah. So it might have an impact that the engineering where that is very systematic, but I needed to add more pieces to make it work. Because the one thing that helped me the most being an engineer maybe was different than different to other teachers, maybe especially traditional teachers they are, that are somehow in love with a method that they've learned to teach like grammar, vocabulary, memorization. As an engineer from the beginning, I had very clear, what is the goal? I want to build a bridge. And as an engineer, we have several subjects, math, chemist, biology, and we take whatever we need to get to this, to, to achieve our goal. So the goal is, our, is, is that what we're striving for? And ever, whatever works, works. What does not work, work, does not work. And I was unapologetic about the things that didn't work. And I included the things that I noticed worked. And uh, as an engineer, for example, so I could uh, take all these pieces and different to a traditional teacher, I mm, was not forced to do anything, but could experiment and was free to do so. One of the things that you mentioned while you were going about your own personal language learning journey is that you used a lot of podcasts and input in order to fit it into your schedule and find times to be able to work on languages. What are your thoughts on using input and how to turn that into something that you're actually producing or, or like production in the language? How do you make that transition from doing a lot of input to doing output? Yeah, when I started, I remember uh, also following your site, Fluent in Three Months. 
And I was very uh, touched by, for example, you introducing program Speak in a Week. Then I created Speak from Day One in one day. <laughs> and um, I also encouraged students to speak because I remember when I was listening to those podcasts, uh, there was a time after a certain period, I don't know, a few months or so, I saw myself speaking in the car. Maybe I had to give a presentation, maybe I had to speak someone and it was just rehearsing what I could say, for example, as someone is rehearsing the role that he's about to act. Yeah. And I saw that I was speaking, so I saw this output. And the first idea was output is important. And I encouraged also students uh, to practice, for example, sometimes when they felt like to, to speak and so on. But even at that moment, I had this idea that actually I was speaking not because someone was telling me to speak. So I was suggesting to speak. A lot of, a lot of advice is also what people should do. My program is what people should do. I came across the natural approach from Stephen Krashen <laughs> and I studied a little bit his stuff. And then in essence, this guy was saying, it's the other way around. You see yourself speaking, not or you speak, not because you're practicing it. It is just the result of what you've listened. And I remember I was a few weeks thinking about this. Is it true that I was just speaking because I listened to it? I mean, no one asked me to speak and it was just there. And it makes sense because, for example, I had another huge experience that was with my children. I have two children. They were born in Spain and from the first day I knew I had to talk to them in German, otherwise they would not learn German. And at that time, my wife was as disciplined as I am, and she also spoke just in German to them. So both of us spoke in German. But quickly going to the kindergarten, having all their friends, all the neighbors, and talking all the time and listening to Spanish, after having a long period of listening German, and also Spanish, they, start, they started to speak in Spanish and I was speaking to them in German just and they were replying in, uh, in Spanish. So they were not speaking a word in German. But I continued because I noticed comprehension is there. I'm talking to them and they understand what I'm saying. And at that moment, I have, at that time, I had the intuition that because there are some strategic approaches where I might have forced them to talk to me in German for whatever reason. But at that time I was thinking if I tell them something like, I don't understand you, if you speak in Spanish, that that's not honest because they see me speaking with the neighbors. And, uh, I, I didn't want to force it. So I said, okay, if I don't do 100%, I will do five, 50%. So I continue speaking to them in German. And then we moved to Germany and they went to the kindergarten and in the kindergarten, they talked to them in German and they replied in Spanish. For them, it was a, as if it were natural. <laughs> so they were talking to me this way. And then, of course, there, the people were saying, hey, you can't talk to me in Spanish. I don't understand. You need to talk to me in German. And they went like, oh, now I need to talk. And it was very quickly. It just took a few weeks and they were talking as fluently as the others. And I noticed also that Yes, input has a huge, maybe the biggest impact. And output will come. Yes, uh, people, my students, for example, the number one theme 
that comes up when I ask them what is the biggest challenge is speaking. They will say it's speaking because it's their goal. They want to have conversations and uh, they feel like they want to express things. They are still not there or they feel also this confidence part that they are, that they struggle with uh, feeling judged or whatever. Uh, and yes, if someone feels like wanting to speak, uh, I don't think it's a good idea to tell them, no, 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 you should just listen. Uh, we have, for example, now a program where uh, we focus a lot on speaking. Uh, we focus a lot on listening. We create, create a lot of podcasts so students can listen to it. And we give them the options to come twice a week, for example, to, to practice speaking. So when it comes to input, I would love to hear your, your thoughts on what would count as useful input, because uh, if you've read my blog, you may have uh, followed when I was trying to sit the C2 exam in German, I made a huge mistake. I thought, okay, for the listening comprehension part, I just need to listen a lot. And I had the radio on in the background in German. And I was half paying attention and I wasn't really, you know, actually trying to give it my full undivided attention. And because of that, that was the reason I failed the exam was the listening comprehension dragged me down and I would have passed otherwise. So I think it makes sense that you have to utilize the time that you have. And if you're driving, if you're commuting to work, that's an excellent time to turn on a podcast or some form of listening comprehension in the car. But how do you make that effective and how can you um, turn around like the mistake that I made when I was trying to improve my German listening comprehension? Yeah, the advice that I give, for example, to my students is that, well, Stephen Krashen talks also about he has added the third word, not just comprehensible input, but compelling, comprehensible input. It needs to be compelling. And this goes back to the idea in general, learning or, or, or school. Whenever you feel this intrinsic motivation, the energy level is much higher. Yeah? Uh, and if you listen to something that you like to listen to, for example, I like to listen to those podcasts, to those English podcasts. There was an element that I used today, for example, in one of our programs that I liked a lot. I was at a beginning stages, so I was maybe at a, a2 level and this uh, teacher was talking to other students so it had a lot of components because those students were making mistakes and i saw myself i'm not the only one who are making mistakes and he was correcting them and there were a lot of aha moments like ah this is the way you say it so maybe you're used to saying used to certain patterns and are not aware of it and then you say ah, this is the way you say it and also listening to other students. But then at a certain moment when you advanced, I noticed that I didn't want to listen to other students because I was now better than them, maybe. And it was a little bit boring. Then I wanted to just listen to a native speaker voice. And yes, listening to something that you enjoy. For example, I still listen to English podcasts and I listen to stuff that I'm intrinsically motivated. For example, I have two children. I'm now very interested in children, education, school, all, all, the, all the topics around school. But I'm also very interested in online business. I've created my online business. And now I'm listening to something and I don't have in mind I'm learning anything. I have in mind I'm enjoying and want to learn about 
online business. I want to learn about education. I want to learn about coaching, whatever. And yeah, based on this theory, the language acquisition device is turned on involuntarily, unconsciously, and you're acquiring the language. Like little children, they listen to the messages of parents and they start, they end up then speaking. Uh, not correct, but with time, it's a program, it's a process. They, they improve more and more. So the most important thing I would say is that you like what you listen to and you understand it. It's, new to, it's not too uncomprehensible or is it incomprehensible? <laughs> uh, I had another experience, for example, when I grew up in Germany, I had a lot of Turkish friends and they talked in Turkish all the time. And I can't speak Turkish because it was not comprehensible. I know a few words here and there. Sometimes when they say those words, I can get the context, but it was too far away. So I was a beginner and they were talking like natives. The gap was too huge. It was not uh, comprehensible. So uh, I couldn't internalize it somehow. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you liked what you listened to at that time with the radio, but it, if it didn't grab, it, it's a, it's a simple test. Does it grab your attention? I might, you want to give it a try. I have many students that tell me, for example, yeah, I've tried listening to the podcast, but I somehow, I can't focus on it and I need to focus on it. There, I oftentimes have the impression that this comes more from the experience from school, where it is about pay attention, memorize this text. And this is so uh, within us that we hear this voice. If I don't pay attention, if I don't focus on it, if I don't memorize it, it will escape. And then when I need it, it's not there. I encourage them to have the attitude of letting go. It will grab your attention rather than you have to grab the attention because school is all about this. The teacher is telling you, read this book, listen to this podcast. And now it's about find something that you like. I think that one of the big challenges with the comparable, comprehensible input or even compelling input methods is finding resources that do grab your attention, but are also at a lit level that's obtainable to you. So finding that balance between having that entry point, like you said, with your Turkish friends, you didn't have that. And then finding something that is also of interest to you. So what is your recommendation to students who are trying to find compelling, comprehensible content? I think the biggest problem is at the beginner stages, because at the beginning, you might not know anything. And the best way for a real beginner, I suggest is James G. Asher's total physical response. I've tried this with some neighbors and it's incredible because they didn't know a word in German. And after 10, 20 minutes, I could give them commands like get up, go to the chair, sit down, go to this, take the pencil, write something down. It's very, very fast. And then transition to storytelling because it engages you. So story in general can help to everyone. Of course, the story has to be comprehensible. For example, if you read children's stories in German, it might be challenging because they use the, the strange past tense that they only use in written German <laughs> and you can't hear it a lot. So for the beginning stages, it might be a little bit 
challenging to find good things. But after you pass uh, or you reach intermediate level, you should go for things that you like to. And of course, if you can, there are now some tools where you can, for example, find stuff that is at your level. Somehow you can read texts that are easier to read in a simple language and so on. On Herr Professor, for example, we try to solve this issue by making the students create the content. So, for example, we have coaching calls with them. We talk to them and they reveal their level by the way they are talking. For example, they might express something and they might make a mistake and I might correct it. And we might go as far as they allow me to go with a conversation. So I, being a teacher, can downgrade my level knowing that I'm here to help them. And then we are at that level that they need. So for others afterwards, listening to those calls can be very helpful because they get comprehensible input. And then we record also sessions without the students, but on our own, where we, uh, we write down the sentences that were challenging and, and go through them again with examples and so on. So we try to get as close as we can to the point that they are personally giving them content that they might like because they are talking about those topics. So we present those topics. They are having those challenges. We present, present those challenges. They are uh, lacking this vocabulary, this grammar structures. We dig deeper on them. So they are somehow telling us and giving us the, the stories that that we tell them. So one of the biggest components of uh, your personal story that you mentioned was you didn't have the time. So uh, like, like you said, you took advantage of your commute, but uh, what do you tell your students who are extremely busy? How can they get language learning and inject that into their lives? Yeah, this is the thing. I noticed also when I started a professor and uh, I was creating this program that there were all those technical challenges, like, for example, how to learn vocabulary, how to learn grammar, how to make it easier to learn vocabulary, grammar and so on. But I noticed the biggest challenge had nothing to do with language learning. It had to do with this uh, big disease from our time that I don't have time and I want, I need to do something, but I somehow can't make progress on it. And I studied a lot of other things, not related directly to language learning, but indirectly, although they had a huge impact. Uh, and here, for example, I use things like, um, well, I started doing it and later I discovered there's a technique called tiny habits from Professor Falk. So my suggestion is, for example, even listening on the commute might be challenging for someone that is not used to it. So start small. For example, our free podcast that is available is a five to 10 minute podcast that is very interactive and they can listen to it uh, while commuting. So start with those small things. And the trick, the goal is to build habits. Habits is the solution to it to build habits because if someone just says learn German learning has the connotation of work, memorization, sitting down and studying. But most of us have a, have an experience also, also a very joyful experience. The first time we acquired our mother tongue 
And this was not work, it was play. And uh, the thing that might come closest to it would be to create habits because then you do it without even thinking. But to create a habit, you need a little bit of consistency. And the recommendation is to start very small with small little things. Once you create those habits, you can build up on them. So for example, on our side, we suggest to start with our free podcast lessons, five to 10 minutes. And later in the program, from zero to C1, we recommend, for example, the Pomodoro technique, 25 minutes uh, for deliberate practice. But if you add on the listening time, it's, it's not a extra time. So I think that the solution for a busy person that has no time is creating the right habits. And then they can progress because the worst thing is I have students that have, that are living, most of them are busy professional experts that come from the US or from abroad, from all over the place, uh, India, Australia, to Germany, Switzerland, or Austria. And they live there for many years, don't do anything. And after five, six years, they might have children. Now they go to school and now then find themselves. Now I need to learn some of German. If they had started five years ago and they have just listened 10 minutes a day to something that they enjoy, they would be much more ahead than they are now. So one of the questions that we always like to ask our guests on the podcast, given that this is the language hacking podcast is what is your definition of language hacking? Yeah, language hacking. I don't know. I would say if someone going to school takes five years in getting from zero to A2 and someone else in two years goes from zero to B2, he has in some way hacked the language <laughs> compared to the other guy. So finding tools like, for example, mnemonics, listening, practicing speaking, whatever tools that can make this more efficient without forgetting to make it also enjoyable. Whatever makes it more efficient from the standpoint also as an engineer, uh, yeah, makes it, uh, makes it better. And in this way, uh, I'll consider this uh, language hacking to find ways to make things more efficient, more productive. And uh, what's the future for Herr Professor? Like, what do you do you plan to expand into other languages or how are you going to double down uh, with your online business? Not sure if we want to expand to other languages. We'll see. We are working hard on this, uh, this program that we have where we record those sessions, those coaching calls and so on. And uh, we are trying to making it better to create also an app for it so that it's more convenient to listen to those calls and so on. So we want to make this better, improve the programs that we have and uh, listen to the requests of our students. So many students ask also for language learning for their children and so on. I don't recommend, for example, my program for children, we might create some new programs for the children of our students or let's see, but everything that helps uh, help our students improve, we will go in this direction. Excellent. Well, we'll make sure that links to all of your stuff are in the show notes for today's episode. So people should go check that out, check out your website, check out your free podcast. 
and I'm sure they'll learn plenty uh, to help them move forward. So thank you so much for your time today. It was very interesting. We, we wish everybody who's been listening very happy language learning. Happy language learning. All right. So at the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from our discussion with our guest. And we try to make these tips something that's immediately actionable for you so that you can go away from listening to this episode of the podcast, try it out in your own learning and see how it works for you. So Benny, what was your takeaway today from our discussion with Manuel? Uh, There were a few takeaways. I I liked how he described the advantage engineers have that Uh, We have such different backgrounds of mathematics and chemistry and physics that we learn to uh, discard what we do, what we don't need, pick what we do need, and that the goal is always what we're striving for. Um, You know, if you're building a bridge, you just have to build that bridge regardless of, um, you know, if there's going to be wind or whatever. So I really liked that. But his, uh, his answer to what I may have run into myself with my German project uh, was interesting because uh, he emphasized the, the, the word compelling. And I always thought maybe it wasn't just be, it was just because I wasn't giving it a hundred percent of my attention. That was definitely a big part of the problem that I wasn't listening intent in, in, uh, intensively. I was more just like hearing it in the background, but at the same time, it also wasn't compelling. I just turned the radio on and they were, maybe talking about the news or something. So uh, I think if I was to do that again, I would have found uh, something a lot more interesting for me that would have engaged me. So it wasn't just the uh, the fact that I wasn't paying attention. It was something that was happening that I didn't want to pay attention to. So as I move forward and I, as I have input in my languages, I'll try to keep in mind that it's a two-way street. It's not just putting all the pressure on me that I have to focus and I have to learn. And like you said, that sounds like work, but also that I have to um, find something that is going to pull me in, something that's interesting, that I find compelling. So I really like that he emphasized that. What about you? I think for me, it was when he was talking about his own strategies for learning languages, because uh, as you know, as one of the coaches for the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, one of the things that I often hear from those who would like to learn a language is, I'm too busy. I don't have time. Now is not the moment. And I think that when you really get down into it, there's never that moment because the minute whatever it is that's taking up your time and attention now goes away, something else is always going to replace it. So at a certain point, you just have to start. And so he was talking about the strategies that he used to fit language learning into his life and about how he was using all of those kinds of opportunities, like when he was in the car, when he was going on walks to turn those into language learning moments. And you know, it might not be what you envision as your language learning methods, but it's what you can do. And even if you're not sitting down with a course book are always able to have a lesson, which, you know, those things 
are really useful and needed at some point, but at least, you know, if you're constantly listening to podcasts and you're getting that input and you're practicing talking to yourself in the car. And I love how you mentioned that because you know that that's one of the things that I do and using the opportunities that you do have and spending them on the language, you're going to get so much further than by saying, I just can't do what I want to do the way that I want to do it and not doing anything. So I think looking at what opportunities you have and trying to fit language learning into them is my takeaway for this particular episode. All right. So once again, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast or the language hacking podcast in general, please let us know what you think over at languagehacking.com slash review. And once again, the show notes are available to you as a part of this podcast. We appreciate you listening. And until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.